Good morning, Mountain Park, and uh, welcome once again. I am uh, so excited to be back. First of all, I'm thankful to be at a church that allows me uh, to take a break over the summer. Not that you have uh, that much of a say in it, but uh, <laughs> to take a break over the summer to just kind of rejuvenate and get excited for the fall and plans for next year. I very much appreciate that. I also appreciate uh, coming back and hearing from people uh, how how great the, the previous Sunday was, and, and man, that Sunday was awesome, and this happened, and this other thing happened, and th- great things happened here in July, and you know, a number of people saying, you can take breaks whenever you want, that's awesome, and uh, I'm not, I'm not exa- exactly sure how much I appreciate that, but, uh, uh, but I am uh, thankful. If you ha- are new here, just kind of started attending in the past few weeks, hi, my name is Alan, I work here too, and uh, <laughs> And uh, once again, very glad that you're here. We took a little break in the month of July, but this year we are looking at the overall story of God. The overall, we're calling it the whole shebang. It's not just the story we find in the Bible. It's the overall story of humanity that covers all of human history. As Jerry mentioned, we have binders in the lobby, and if you'd like, you can grab one of those binders, and we put a sheet in there every week to kind of walk this journey together. Today we are launching into the fifth tab, the tab that is titled The Church. And this covers the 2,000-year period between the time that Jesus walked the earth and now. It's 2,000 years of debates and conversations and characters that dramatically shape our Christian experience today, our experience with God. And over the next five weeks, we're going to be taking a look at that, and we're going, to do, we're going to be doing some things a little bit different. In fact, that's why if you were here last week and you responded, way to go, inviting you to come here on time today, uh, because uh, today and for the next few weeks, we are going to give you uh, opportunities to respond to God that are in some ways connected with church history, with a number of different ways that uh, people have connected with God over thousands of years. And uh, today we gave you a little bit extra room, but, uh, but uh, next week I'm going to be starting my message even a little bit earlier so that we can have what we're calling response time at the end. And I'm going to explain that a little bit more in just a moment. Today we are looking at a character. We're looking at different characters throughout the whole shebang. And today we're looking at a guy named Augustine. How many ever heard of Augustine? Good for you. Well, four of you. No, a fair amount of you have heard of, of Augustine. And the character trait that we are going to be stirring up this morning is confession. This idea that we are broken. There's something imperfect about us. And this, this, uh, this thing within our heart and within our, within our head, within our past, that is imperfect, that is broken, what are we going to do with that? What are we supposed to do with that? What is our response to that peace inside of us? What do you typically do with your awareness of your brokenness and, the, and your imperfection? What are we supposed to do with that? That's what we're going after this morning. I invite you to pray with me. Father, I'm thankful for your presence here today. And as we stir up the issue of confession, we we just, only your Holy Spirit knows what's going to happen here in this room. And so, God, we ask for your grace to come. And just as Jerry so beautifully prayed, may may my words, may I just hide behind behind the power and the majesty of the cross of your son, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. We will jump into Augustine here in just a moment. But I want to explain what the plan is 
for the next few weeks uh, as we walk through the church and different ways that uh, we are going to have opportunities to respond to God. Now, I understand that when we gather in this room regularly on a Sunday morning, that there are... There's another confetti. <laughs> the party's still on. <laughs> I understand that when we gather here... Right here, focus right back to me. <laughs> I understand that when we gather in this room, that there are Sundays where the, where the message, the topic hits you, impacts your heart, and God's doing something and moving in you, and then there's an opportunity for you to respond. I also understand that there are Sundays when you bring something so significant, so uh, heavy, that maybe it's even hard for you to concentrate on anything other than the thing that you brought into this room, and I understand and absolutely respect that. And so what I want to do is I'm going to bump my message up earlier so that we have more time for God to do whatever He wants to do within us, within our hearts here in this place. And I, I want to walk through a number of different options that you're going to have. This is very different, okay? Just kind of brace yourselves. For those of you who don't like change, strap in. Uh, <laughs> and what I want to do is I want to take just a couple minutes and walk around the room and tell you about some options that you'll have at the end of my message to respond to God, okay? Uh, one option over here is at the cross, and the cross is a place that will be available over the next few weeks where, for you to come and let something go, to release it, to release it at the cross. You can, you can kind of just have the phrase, letting it go. Maybe it's, it is a confession of yours. Maybe it's something, an addiction, something that you are having a hard time letting go. We invite you to come, take it to the cross. Take a a uh, card, a red card that's uh, in behind here. Write whatever you want to write on it. There are hammers down below here. You take a nail, and you nail it to the cross. You just leave it up there. It's, an, it's anonymous. Don't put your name on it. Okay, we're not going to follow up on any of this. You be as honest as you feel God is inviting you to be here in this place. If you're uncomfortable with a hammer and a nail, and you're nervous about what you might say here in this room if you miss, uh, there is a basket in the, uh, underneath the cross here for you to symbolically lay it at the feet of Jesus. Once again, this is a place for you to let go if you want to participate in this way. And the best way, I think, is just to kind of form a line out this way if there's more than one of you who wants to do this. Just kind of form a line this way. There will also be an opportunity at the same time you can come, and this will be a place for unassisted prayer. These steps have been uh, kind of redesigned here at the front so that there's plenty of room. If you want to come and you just want to pray, you can pray where you are or you can come and just kneel here and nobody will bother you. Nobody will come up and say, would you like to pray? Would you like to talk about something? No, this is your personal time with God. Unassisted prayer. No one's going to bother you. You can come if you want. Over here, we have candles. And the New Testament... Uh, does this great picture of talking about Jesus as the light of the world. And so the opportunity with a candle is to say, maybe in an area of your life, in a personal area for you, or in the, in the life of somebody that you care about, that you want to say, I want the light of Christ to shine in this area. That's a reflection for you. Then you come and you take one of these sticks, you light it, and light a candle. It might take a while. 
sometimes. And just blow it out, put it back in the sand here. Uh, sometimes it takes a while for the, you know, for the light of Christ to, to go into an area. But here, you just come and you just have a moment here and just take one of the candles and we'll just light them until they're all uh, kind of filled up. And again, if there's kind of a line, let's go ahead and kind of let a line go to the left of where this is happening, up in this area. Because we want to leave space right here, right in this little, little tiny section over here, is we are going to have an opportunity that we find in James chapter 5. James invites people who are sick to come and be anointed with oil. And so uh, James chapter 6 says, if you are sick, go to the elders of the church. There will be a board member or a pastoral staff who will be here in this place. Maybe no one will come, but some, but somebody will be here ready for you if you want healing. And uh, there'll be a little, little vial of oil uh, that, it, that olive oil that represents the, the healing touch of God. And if you're interested, we'll just put a little cross on your forehead and pray God's healing over you. And that's, this will be available. There's not much room here, so we'll just kind of see how this works. We're going to go with the flow, right? Now, over in this corner and in the opposite corner over there, there will be prayer team folks, folks who have been available on our prayer team for uh, years that typically are at the front at the end of our celebration. They will be at either of these corners for assisted prayer. If you uh, don't want to go up the front for unassisted prayer, but you want somebody to pray with you about something in particular, this area will be available for you. And then over here in the middle, we are going to have communion uh, available every week uh, throughout this series. There will be uh, an usher who is available to serve you if you'd like, or you can come and you can just do self-serve. And uh, communion will be available. You can take in your own way, in your own timing, however that feels for you. In the back, in the box, uh, right in the middle between the doors. You didn't know I was going to point to you back there, did you? There, right in the back there, there is a, uh, an offering box. And uh, so if you came here late and didn't have the opportunity to participate in offering, or if you want that to truly be part of your worship, you can wait till the end and let that be part of your worship. Go up and do your offering uh, as, a, um, as a part of our response to God. Now, one final opportunity for you. You can stay exactly where you are, okay? These are options available for you. You can just stay. You can stand, sit, journal where you are. Music will be played over for the 15, 20 minutes at the end of our celebration. There will be worship like regular, if you will. You can just stand, raise your hands, worship, sit, however you want to do in your place. You don't need to get up and do anything. We want this to remain a safe place to visit, if you are new or just kind of checking out what this whole Christian thing is all about, you can just stand where you are and gaze at the weirdos who are doing all the things in the room. <laughs> you are welcome and free to do that. Now, just a couple details that I want to throw out here. First of all, uh, I invite you to, to try one thing. One thing. Don't feel like you've got to do everything and you're running around. It's not an amusement park where you've got to you know, get, quickly get in line. Just, just do one thing, because there'll be plenty of weeks afterwards for you if you want to try something else another time. Try another experience with God. And then the second thing is I just ask for your grace, that we would be gracious as we do this together. It's new, it's different, and uh, so we're just going to be figuring this out together. There might be a line that is taking a little longer than you'd like, and so uh, just bring grace into that. Anger and worship are not a real, real strong combination 
so we invite you to, uh, to do that. We're going we're gonna to do that in, in about 20 minutes here uh, once, you, uh, once I finish with a little talk about Augustine. Any questions? No? Good. Uh, <laughs> Augustine is a uh, man who's part of church history that we find in the 4th century. 4th century, so about 15, 1600 years ago. And his father was a pagan, his mom was a Christian, and so he grew up not believing in Jesus. In his 20s, he became a teacher of rhetoric, which we don't hear much about now, but at the time, that's what them smart people did. The teacher of rhetoric. He was a very, very smart dude who was not a believer in Christ. In his early 30s, he had an experience that absolutely changed his life, and he wrote about it. I want to read just a section of it here. I cast myself down, I know not how, under a certain fig tree, giving full vent to my tears, and the floods of mine eyes gushed out an acceptable sacrifice to thee. And not indeed in these words, yet to this purpose spake I much unto thee, and thou, O Lord, how long, how long, Lord, wilt thou be angry forever? Remember not our former iniquities, for I felt that I was held by them." Why not is there this hour an end to my uncleanness? He had this tremendous response to his sin, to his imperfection. And it had a profound impact on him. When I was in seminary, I, I had to read the Confessions. It's called The Confessions of Augustine. He wrote a book called Confessions. I had to read this, I had to do a, 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 a report on the Confessions of Augustine. Um, that was, of course, assuming that I did read it, but, I mean, that's a whole confession in and of itself. But, but I mean, it's tricky English, it's translated into English, it's tricky to read, and, and the whole deal. The Confessions of Augustine, what happens, what we find in, this, in his story is he, he says that he supernaturally lands on a few verses of Scripture found in Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, verses 13 and 14, he lands on these Scripture that, that read, Paul writes, Let us behave decently, as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ, and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. He was overwhelmed with remorse. Overwhelmed with guilt. He, for the first time in his life, felt the weight of his sin. Felt the weight of, of the previous views he had of God. And how small he had made God. He felt, and he goes into into specific detail about the weight of his sexual sin, about how he used his, his powerful sexual desires for things that were not of God. Now, maybe if you read Confessions, the language isn't going to connect with you very much. But here, 1,500 years ago, the content of his confession is something that can connect with, I would guess, every one of us here in this room. It is a timeless issue to come face-to-face with the reality of our imperfection. And for him, that led to 
a confession. His, con- his confession led to repentance. And, and Augustine became a priest, and he became a bishop in the church. And he had tremendous impact. He has had tremendous impact and effect on the language we have around our Christian experience. The whole process of salvation and what that looks like, Augustine was monumental in putting language around that. He, uh, he uh, put together and really kind of um, helped this concept of original sin that we now embrace as something that started with Adam and Eve. There's something that we do not have the power in and of ourselves to break through. He put language to that that, that came out of this powerful confession that he had. He is referred to by many as one of the fathers of the Reformation. The Reformation happened a thousand years later. Reformation happened in the 16th century. But he's referred to as one of the fathers of it because he had such a high emphasis on grace. We are not saved by our own works, by what we say, by what we do. We are saved by the power of God's grace. Augustine was monumental and as, a, as a part of of. 2,000 years of church thought. Augustine was huge in terms, of, in terms of putting these pieces together and helping us move towards an understanding of grace. Confession, uh, the book Confessions is actually 13 small books. 13 books that talk about confession. Do we understand the power and the significance and the role of confession in our spiritual journey? Confession starts with remorse. There has to be this remorse place in there. If we do something with remorse, that's a very different experience than doing something without remorse. I, I know this very clearly because uh, this is the way uh, judges and prosecutors have their... I mean, I know this because I've seen multiple episodes of Law & Order. This is, this is the way it works. There is, it has an impact. The remorse that someone who's done wrong has, that has an impact on the sentence and what happens in those stories. That for persons who show no remorse, there's very little hope of change. And that's what this character journey is all about, is inviting God, in what areas of my life do you want to change? When we show no remorse, there is no pathway to change. And confession starts with remorse. It's, it's not just about acknowledging, yes, I did that. It's not even feeling bad about it. It's not just feeling bad about it. It's feeling responsible. Do we understand our role in our imperfection? It's why I think sometimes the phrase, I'm sorry, isn't that great of a phrase. I mean, we often say to our kids, say you're sorry, say you're sorry, and then, and then, and then Billy goes over and he rolls his eyes and he says, I'm sorry that you're such a wimp and you kept on crying because I accidentally hit you. There, I apologize. <laughs> okay, he said he's sorry, but is there remorse in there? Is there this, this responsibility found in there? That's a kid version. What about the adult version where you get reamed out because you stole something from somebody else? You stole the client. You stole a, a contract. You stole a boyfriend, a girlfriend a husband, a wife. And then when you're reamed out for that or confronted for that, then our response might be, I'm sorry you feel that way. Where's the remorse in there? 
Where's the responsibility in there? It's devoid of that when we say, I'm sorry you feel that way. Where's the place where we say, I am responsible. I, this is the remorse that I bring to this experience. There's two ways that we confess that are outlined in Scripture. We confess with regard to our thoughts or we confess with regard to our actions. And Scripture separates these, I believe, um, into two different places that we confess. We either confess to God or we confess to others. We confess our thoughts to God. We confess our actions to others. In other words, we confess to the one that we've offended. We confess to the one that we have, conf- uh, have offended. First, let me look at the idea of confessing our thoughts to God by looking at a very popular verse in the New Testament. First John chapter 1, verse 9. John writes, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We must regularly present our sins and our thoughts and our imperfections toward God. Every every, uh, improper thought, every missed opportunity that God may have put in front of us, every evidence that we have that we are not God, those are the things that we are to daily, regularly take to God in heaven. And I'm not just talking about, about how we might feel wounded. I mean, in Christian circles, we often talk about brokenness and that I, I feel wounded. This has happened to me. I'm suffering because of this. It's not just that. It's, it's acknowledging the evil that is within us, the things that we don't have control of on our own power. It's bringing those things to the God that we've offended. Do we bring those with remorse or do we say, God, I'm sorry you feel that way. Are we we bringing the responsibility into those encounters? We, We can't understand grace. We can't embrace and appreciate grace unless we understand confession. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So our thoughts are confessed to God. Our actions are confessed to others. Our actions are confessed to the ones that we have hurt. Let me give you a little story. I said this once a few years back, but so it might be a reminder for some of you. Just a little story from uh, a few years back for me, and I want you to think about your opinion of it. Um, when I was about just a year mar- into my marriage, between year one and year two, I believe, I was a pastor of young adult ministry at our church in Cincinnati. And during, during that ministry, while I was doing all this, and I was 26 or whatever, there was a, a young lady who was a part of the young adult ministry, a single lady that I found myself attracted to. I mean, she's a good-looking lady in the young adult ministry. So in the interest of, uh, of, of full, full uh, disclosure and full honesty with my new bride, I sat her down and I said, I, I want to tell you, about this girl, this woman, this young lady who is in our ministry. 
and I find myself attracted to her, and I want to tell you about it so that it can lose its power. How many of you think that was a good idea? No, one, God bless you, one over here. You're going somewhere, kid. Uh, uh, how many of you think, what were you thinking? Okay, that was, there we go. Okay. See, my wife, she handled it like a, like a sport. I mean, she said to me, she gulped, and then she said, thank you for telling me. And then three days later, she came up to me. She said, don't you ever do that again. Don't you ever do that again because she couldn't get her mind off of it. The whole thing was kind of spinning. The whole thing became way more than what it should have been. See, that was a thought, and that needs to be confessed to God. Better yet, confess it to God. Bring it up with a bunch of guys that I'm in accountability with. Talk with them about it. Tell them, say, I need your help so that this does not turn into an action, so that it stays a thought. Because it wasn't an action. It never turned into a conversation. never turned into anything like that. It was, it was a thought. But what we so often do is the flip side. That if there is an action that we've taken against somebody else or against a company or whatever, and then we, 1 John 1, 9, we confess it to God without confessing it to the person. What happens to sins, imperfections in our lives that we confess to God, actions that we've taken against somebody else that we confess to God, but we don't confess to the person we've hurt. We repeat them. We do them again. If you cheat on a math test in school and then you feel remorse and you feel guilty about that afterwards, even though you were successful with your cheating, and you confess that to God, do you think you're going to cheat again next time? If you confess, take the difficult journey and confess that to your teacher and suffer the consequences of what may happen as a result of that, do you think you're going to cheat the next time? It's less likely, way less likely. We are to confess our actions towards the person that we have hurt. The Bible talks about Confessing to God, absolutely, but it talks more about confessing to one another. We see this early on. It's not just a New Testament idea. We see it in the book of Numbers, chapter 5. You can look it up at some point. The confessing to one another. It was part of God's very root system for how we, uh, uh, how to confessing to one another, part of the root system of how we were to do life. And I want to read from uh, James, chapter 5 in the New Testament. James writes in verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Confess your sins to one another. Confess directly to the one that we have hurt or the ones that we have hurt. Directly to one another. Now that is easier said than done. Those are easy words to say. But it's so hard to walk that out. So hard to step into that. Sometimes we see this in, uh, in movies, just kind of, kind of even a humorous angle on this, that it's so hard to say something until we realize, well, there's nothing left to lose. People are on their deathbed. People are dying. There's a crash about to happen. And then they confess things right at the end. 
was watching Madagascar 2 with our kids recently, and you might remember the beginning of the movie, and they're in the airplane, and they realize the whole thing's going to crash, and then the giraffe says, I love you, Gloria, I always have. <laughs> remember that? It's funny. But then I thought about it a little bit. A giraffe and a hippo. I'm not really sure where, where, where that could go. But it's this concept of when, when, when all else fails, when we have nothing else, that's when we'll confess. Why? Because the consequences can be so severe when we confess to one another. It's so hard, so we stuff it in, we hide it, we conceal it, and we think it's going to go away. But it's the concealing that hurts us way more. You might be thinking, Alan, your example was a math test, cheating on a math test. Well, I could confess that. I mean, that's, that's not a big deal. But my situation, maybe you're currently in an inappropriate relationship with somebody. And you realize the consequences of confessing that to your spouse. Acknowledging that that might mean the end of your marriage. And so then the thought is, I can't confess that. I can't go there. Well, let me, just, let me just remind you, with grace and love here today, confession does not hurt people. Sin hurts people. If the sin has already happened, then confession is what is needed. Because if there's something like that going on in your life right now, the person that you're married to already knows something's up. The wheels are already turning. And confession is the path towards healing, towards taking care of that. So the question today is, whatever you're stirring up, maybe in ways that you've, uh, uh, you've hurt somebody else and you haven't responded to that yet, what are you going to do about it? In your character development, what are you going to do about it? See, because the character issue with regard to confession is timing. When we confess after we've been caught or discovered, then it is a long and difficult journey towards rebuilding many character issues of integrity and trust and respect. But when we take the harder character road of confessing before we've been caught or we've been discovered, then we are on a path towards character development. We are on a path towards spiritual and emotional freedom because we have retained some parts of our character and we've saying, I trust God enough, I trust uh, each other enough, I trust our relationship enough, we can get through this. We will do the best we can to get through this. There is so much more strength in confessing before you're caught. So let's confess our thoughts to God and others in terms of, of accountability and confess our actions, what we say and what we do, to the ones that we've hurt for the sake of freedom for our hearts. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that you would stir up by the power of your Holy Spirit, whatever you want here in this room. We all have, we all have little things and big things that are rolling around in our hearts right now. And Father, for those here in this room who are 
thinking, well, I'm free from that. I don't have anything that I need to confess. God, would you, would you penetrate those hearts? Because we all do. And God, I pray that our remorse would lead to repentance. It would lead to freedom, not this heaviness. Because that's, that's the yoke you came to replace with a yoke that is not heavy, with a yoke of, of freedom, a yoke that is light. Father, as we respond to you in many different ways here today, we invite you to meet us in our place of need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.